This is Pastor Devin, and I just want to say thanks for joining us, and I hope and pray that this message is an encouragement to your life today. Okay. Are you guys ready? We're starting a new series today. Yeah, okay. Uh, three people are excited. That's good. It's very good. Uh, that was my wife and my two oldest kids. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, we're beginning a new series today. We enter a new month, and uh, I want us to consider this thought as we enter this Month of thanksgiving, reflection upon God's goodness. I want us to consider this thought. Grateful people are generous people who are in turn blessed people. Grateful people are generous people who are in turn blessed people. People that have a spirit of gratitude. That, that look at life through the lens of being grateful. They tend to be more generous with their lives. Uh, these are people that actually look for reasons to be thankful. This frames the way they see the world. Beyond that, they recognize moments where gratitude should not only be acknowledged in their minds, but they actually express their gratitude. This allows them to not take things for granted, to, to not expect things, to not have a spirit of entitlement. I deserve this. This type of attitude is a slippery slope to becoming generous. A spirit of gratitude will very quickly lead and dovetail into a life of generosity. Why? Because you begin to realize that life isn't just about you and your wants and your desires, but instead, your perspective is expanded. Your your radar is more in tune with surrounding humanity and their needs. If the awareness of God's goodness and the acknowledgement that you live an incredibly blessed life doesn't lead to generosity, then it's a false humility and a disingenuous spirit of gratitude. Why? Because genuine, authentic gratitude will always lead to a pure expression of generosity that looks outside of oneself and looks for opportunities to invest into the lives of others, which results, I believe, in a blessed life. Uh, of course, these ideas, these principles are scripturally vindicated. Uh, Proverbs chapter 11, chapter 24. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. It's pretty cut and dry there. Verse 25. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. How many have ever spent time with someone, and after you've spent time with them, you go away feeling better about life? You've spent time with someone, and they've refreshed your spirit. Now, how many have spent time with people that are parasitical? And they latch on to you, and they literally suck the life right out of you. Been around those types of people, right? Listen to how uh, the message, Eugene Peterson says that. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. This, again, is a wonderful example of God's economy working in direct conflict to a world system that equates happiness and contentment with attaining and acquiring more. And I tell you, selfishness and pride cannot coexist or cohabitate with true gratitude. If the only beneficiary of the generosity is you, that's not generosity, that's narcissism. My friend Mark Batterson says it this way. When God blesses you financially, 
Don't raise your standard of living, but raise your standard of giving. Here at Connect, we have six core values beyond our statement of faith. One of those core values is generosity. We just believe that Christians should be the most generous people in the world. Not just with their finances, but with the lives that they lead. Generous with their time and attention. Generous with their talents and their service. Generous with their words and encouragement. Generous with their patience. How many are generous with your patience? Generous with your mercy. Generosity communicates something beyond meeting a human need. And whether people agree with us or not, the Bible says that people will know us and who we are By our love. Loving people are generous people. Boy, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? I have a dream that the reputation of Connect wouldn't be based upon correct theology or big crowds or wonderful services. Yes, we want to have those types of things. But what if people said, I don't know about those folks over there at Connect, but they are the most generous giving people I know or I've been around. They will love you, they will serve you, and they will make a difference. Wouldn't that be great if that's what people were saying about us in our city? I, you know, sometimes you don't even know what's kind of happening through the ministry during the week. This past week, uh, Ashley and I had the opportunity on Monday, we were at Mount Juliet Middle, and you guys uh, had the opportunity to provide breakfast for the entire faculty there at Mount Juliet Middle School. I tell you, it is the... When you walk in there, with, we, we, we partner with Chick-fil-A on it. It is the craziest thing. These people in Chick-fil-A, it is wild. I mean, it's, they put something in it. I don't know. But we go, we go and we, we just spend time with teachers. You would think, but these are the people that are often overlooked, not thanked. Uh, then after that, we spent time over at the Mount Juliet Police Department over at their new facility. They gave us a tour over there. We provided breakfast for them on Monday, Wednesday. We were at West Wilson Middle and provided breakfast for their entire faculty. Wouldn't it be great if they said, I don't know about that church, but they are generous people. Here's what I know. None of that will happen to its fullest potential if we first don't have a spirit of gratitude and if God isn't first in every area of our lives. First in our finances, first in our time, first in our marriages, first in our families. And I truly believe that if we will get this right, It will affect every area of our lives. Uh, They say that the number one reason for divorce is communication, or lack thereof. What what do they fight the most over? What's the number one thing? Money, 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 money. Money, right? (laughs) We need to get this right. Listen, 500, you didn't know I could do that, did you? Yeah. There are 500 verses in the Bible on prayer. 500 verses on faith. There are 2,000 verses on money and possessions. 16 of Jesus' 38 parables deal with money. And I know you guys are sitting there going, oh, here we go. I knew you'd get to this point. At At some point, I knew you'd talk about this. If I were Jesus, I would talk about it 65% of the time. So do you really want to be like Jesus? One of the most well-known verses of the 2000, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart 
will be also. So wherever your treasure is, that's your money, it affects your heart. It's extremely important that we understand these truths. Exodus chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. I want you to see what the Lord says there. The firstborn belongs to me. Now let's look down a few verses. Exodus chapter 13, verse 12. You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. They belong to who? The Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Today, I want to look at three principles on this idea of God being first. The first principle is this. The firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. Now listen, listen carefully. If you were a sheep herder, Every time one of your sheep, your ewes, had a lamb, you were required to kill the firstborn, the one born first. This required faith on the part of the shepherd. This held true for the sheep. But if it was a donkey, there's another word for donkey too, you had to kill a firstborn sheep for the donkey. Here's the rule. Here's the rule. The clean had to be sacrificed. The unclean had to be redeemed. Follow me. The clean animals, those that were born clean, the lamb, had to be sacrificed, but those that were born unclean had to be redeemed. This is one of the greatest pictures in the Bible, and a lot of people just miss it. They skip right over it. This is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us were born unclean. Every one of us were born sinners, all the way from Adam and Eve to now. Once they sinned, Adam and Eve, every person born since then has been born in sin. We were born in sin, so we were born unclean. Here's the principle. The clean has to be sacrificed. The unclean has to be redeemed. By the way, Israel was redeemed by the blood of a clean lamb. You remember? They took the blood from the clean sacrifice. They put that blood on the doorpost. They would would put it on the top of the mantle of the door and on the post of the frame. And they would put it the left and the right, and then put it on the top, and it would drip down. I want you to imagine that with me today. If I'm standing in a, in a doorway, and I put blood on the left side of this frame, and blood on the right side of this frame, and then blood on the top of that mantle, and I let it drip down. What's that? What's that form? They were saved by the blood of a lamb in the form of a cross. How are we saved? The blood of a lamb... In the form of a cross. Why? Because the firstborn belongs to God. And if he's clean, he has the power to redeem the unclean. We were born unclean. Jesus was born clean. So Jesus had to be sacrificed for us who were born unclean. It's very important that you understand that it's a picture of the gospel. All throughout scripture, this is a reoccurring theme. Jesus is God's firstborn son. And Jesus was born completely and totally clean, without sin. The firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. Jesus, the clean, was sacrificed so that we, the unclean, could be redeemed. You can say amen to that. That's all right? Okay. Principle number two. The Baptist just nod your head and like you agree. All right? Number two. 
The first fruits must be offered. The firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. The first fruits must be offered. Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Now, God is being very specific here. Not just the first fruits, but the first of the first fruits need to come into the house of the Lord. That's very specific. Let me tell you what God is saying here. He will never be second. God will never be second. He will only be first. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine or Welch's grape juice. Question. Who do you think would not want funds to be given to the church so that missions can't be supported, so that churches couldn't be planted or built, so that people couldn't be reached with the gospel? Who do you think would be against those things? The enemy. And the last thing Satan would want for us to understand is this principle of putting God first. He also doesn't want us to experience the blessing that awaits us if we're obedient to that principle. Look at that promise in Proverbs. If we give the first of our first fruits... Whatever your job, you're a banker, teacher, farmer, construction, whatever your job is, the first of your increase goes to God. And when you do that, you'll be blessed. Why? Because you're putting God first. You remember when the Israelites entered the promised land? First city they took was Jericho, right? They marched around. They did all that stuff. Once a day for six days, seventh day, seventh time, blow the trumpet, scream, all that kind of stuff. Marched around, did all that. God said something very important to them. Very specific, before they took that city. Remember, he said, I get all of the silver and gold from Jericho, every bit of it, all of it. All of it is consecrated to the Lord, and all of it comes into my house. I get all of it. Why would God say that? Why do you think? It's very simple. It was the first city. God said, give me the first of the first city. The first of your first fruits. And when you do that, You can have all the rest. You can have all the silver and gold from all the rest of the cities. Then you remember Achan took some of that. What had been devoted for God's house, he then took, and it became, what was devoted became cursed. Why? Because he took what was devoted for God, and he took it for himself. Joshua chapter 6, right? He took the devoted thing. That, my friend, is the tithe. When it comes to us, when it comes into our hands, it's devoted to God. It's set aside. It's consecrated to the Lord's house. And if we take it for ourselves, it moves from being devoted and consecrated to being cursed. God didn't say, after you take ten cities, pick one and give me the spoils from... No, no, no. He said, you give me the first one and then you can have all the rest. This principle runs all through Scripture. By the way, it took faith on the Israelites' part to do that. They had to believe that there were going to be other cities. There was no guarantee. That was, that, they didn't know there was going to be a second city or a third city. If you're raising sheep and you, you finally get that you old enough to where she's able to have a lamb, and then you take the lamb and you sacrifice that lamb, you don't know if you're ever getting another. That takes faith. That's what tithing is. Tithing requires faith. Tithing says, I'll give to God first. 
before anyone else, before I pay my bills, before I make sure I got enough. I'm going to give to God. I'm going to trust him. God's portion is always devoted or consecrated before it's given. And if that portion is taken, it becomes cursed. Malachi chapter 3 is even stronger. It says, because you took what's been devoted to my house and used it for yourself, you are robbing God. I don't want to be charged with that. Genesis chapter 4. This, this has been going on. Some people say tithing started at the law. Some people say it started 500 years before the law. Listen, 2,500 years before the law, Genesis chapter 4. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Question. How many times have we offered less than our first to God and expected God to respect that offering? There have been countless debates on why God accepted Abel's offering but didn't accept Cain's offering. It's really simple. It's right there. Look at verse 4. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock. Now verse 3. In the process of time, After Cain saw how much he had, if there was going to be enough to meet his needs, if everything was going to work out today, if his crop was good, in the process of time, he brought an offering. Notice, there's no mention of the first fruits there. We're talking about the principle of the firstborn, the principle of the first fruits. Abel brought his firstborn. Cain brought, didn't bring his first fruits. Cain's offering wasn't acceptable and Abel's was. Okay, last principle. First principle is what? Firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. Second principle, you have to bring the first fruits. Last one, the tithe must be first. Has to be first. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or or the fruit of the tree, sorry, is the Lord's. It is holy, set apart, devoted, or consecrated to the Lord. It says, what's it say there? All the tithe of the land. All of it. God doesn't change. He's been, this principle runs all throughout Scripture. God makes a principle here and again restates it just to set the record straight, just in case we needed clarification. All the tithe is mine, he says. It belongs to him. The firstborn belongs to God. The first fruits belong to God. And the tithe belongs to God. Here's the principle. It has to be first. Otherwise, it's not really tithing. We give it to God first. Let's, like, let me just, I'll give you a, Maybe a visual of this, okay? Let's say I, I put out 10 $100 bills right here, just side by side. I'm not going to do it because people would run to the altar, right? But I have 10, 10 $100 bills. It's laying side by side right here, okay? A couple questions on, on these 10 $100 bills. How much is the tithe? One of them, $100, right? $1,000. I was just doing this with our oldest last night. He just had his birthday. And this morning, he brought his $25 that he got one of his cards. And he knows. I don't ask for go get toys. I don't ask to go get anything. I pay the tithe first, right? So he comes to me and he goes, Dad, I owe $250, right? So this morning, we're doing the same thing, right? $10, $100. One of them is a tithe, right? Here's another question. Which one is the tithe? Which one? Is it the one on your left or the one on my left? The one in the middle? Oh. Which one is first? It's really easy. It's the first one that goes out. That's the first. 
The first one spent is the first one. The first one that goes out, that's the first one. Why is this important? Why am I saying this? Because many people sit down after they get paid, they pay all their bills, they go to the grocery store, they fill up their tank with gas, and then they write their tithe check. And I believe, this may blow your mind, I believe it's possible to be giving 10% and not be tithing. Because tithing is given to God first. Now listen, I'm not talking about being legalistic about this. You know, I'm not talking about your check goes in, direct deposit, and Ashley goes and buys some groceries at the grocery store before I'm able to write my tithe check out. I'm going, oh my gosh, we're cursed for the next two weeks. No, I'm not talking, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being, God's not legalistic, okay? By the way, some of you have asked, we have uh, not only giving online, but we have text giving, and uh, we, just, we have a number that you can just text uh, an amount to, and it, I have some people that work uh, in, on tips, and they're on a cash basis, and every day, they can just at the end of the day send a text, and they're, they're giving it first, right? Um, we have lots of people that, that give that way. Uh, if you have more questions on that, we can. We have our own number. You just send it. It's super easy to do. What, what I'm talking about, listen, I'm talking about the posture of your heart. Is God first in your heart? If, if it's that difficult to let go of, there's a deeper hidden root than it just being about the money. If you're cutting the circulation off in your fingers, holding on to it, you want to wait to the end to make sure you're going to have enough? Or do you trust him enough to say, I'm going to give it first because it belongs to you, God, and I trust that I'm going to have enough? Would you, would you rather go through life with 100% of all of your money and all of it cursed or 90% of your money and all of it blessed? This is the principle all through Scripture. Is it really faith to give 10% after we paid all the bills? Where's the faith in that? Remember, the first portion is the redemptive, devoted portion. The first portion has the blessing on it. Why would you give the first portion to NES or to the grocery store, the GMAC? They cannot bless your finances. They have no power to bless you, your family, or your money. But God does, and the first portion belongs to him. This is the principle of putting God first, and the first portion redeems the rest. The first portion has the power to bless the rest. Here's the problem. This is going to be a little strong for some of you if it already hasn't been pretty strong for you. This statement will be even stronger for you. Here's the problem. We fear the IRS, GMAC, the mortgage company, and NES more than we fear God. It could be said we respect them more than we respect God. See, when you're really tithing, what you're saying is, God, I respect you first. I fear you first. Now, don't mishear me. You still have to have wisdom. Tithing does not offer carte blanche to frivolous spending and mismanagement of your finances. Well, I tithe, so I can just go blow it. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. He doesn't bless lack of wisdom. He doesn't bless stupidity, idiocy. What word do you want to use? You still need to be wise and budget. Here's the principle, though. We give to God first. And if you don't give to God first, the rest of it is cursed. I believe 
Many, many people in the body of Christ have been living under that. Well-intentioned believers even, because they don't understand that they're taking what belongs to God and giving it to something or someone else. Tithing says, I've got this stack of bills here, but I trust God. That's what tithing says. The opposite of that says, I'm going to pay all these, see if there's enough left over. And when you put God last in your finances, friend, you are in trouble. When you put God first, because grateful people are generous people, and generous people are in turn blessed people. Now, I want want you to think about this thought. Maybe you've never thought about this. Jesus was God's tithe. In other words, God gave Jesus first. In faith, before he ever knew if we would believe or not, before we did believe, while we were mocking him and spitting on him, and while he was dying on the cross, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God gave Jesus first in faith. So Jesus is God's tithe. God gave Jesus as his tithe to the whole world. God gave Jesus to us before we ever believed, and he gave him in faith. That's what tithing is about, having faith to put God first. Question. What's the primary way that we acknowledge that God is first in our lives? What's the primary way? How do you show God that he's first in your life? You go to church, maybe? You spend uh, time in devotion with him? You obey scripture? The Bible says that you love, when you love me, you will obey my commands, right? Those are, all, I, those are all legitimate and viable ways to express that God is important in your life. But I would advocate that the primary way we acknowledge that God is first in our lives is tithing. Why? Because it requires more faith and it costs you more. Literally, it costs you more. So much more. Listen, this is so much more than a 10% principle. This is not just a, a money principle. This is a principle of God being first in our lives. Is God first? If he's not, who's first? If you were to come and tell me that God was first in your life, I could ask to see, I wouldn't do this, but I could ask to see your check register. And I could tell you real quick what's first in your life. I could tell you the thing that you take care of first. I could tell you the thing that you take time for. You know, I love it when I have people say, man, I I would love to be spending time with God. I just don't have time. Where are you at? I'm out on the golf course. Oh, okay. That's a four or five hour commitment of time. Uh, usually it's not a matter of having the time. It's what you've chosen to spend the time doing. Yeah? Money is very similar. A lot of times it's not about not having the money. It's about you've just chosen to do with it something else. Listen, what you rest in, what you find security, what you rest in, you invest in. What you rest in, what you find solace in, what you find security, stock market, you invest in. I want you to hear me. I, I don't preach on tithing and giving and finances because I'm a preacher and I have things that I need to talk about. Or, or even because the church needs your money. Or God needs your money. I, I, listen, I talk about this because I care for you. Because Dad and Ashley and I have counseled dozens of people through the years over and over and over again 
who are not living the blessed life. Their finances are all jacked up. It blows me away how the enemy is having a field day with believers in this area. And as a pastor, my role is what? To equip the saints, to equip you. And I find myself asking, why don't they understand that this, this is so simple? That there are principles in God's word, and if they don't do them, their lives are going to be like this for the rest of their lives. They will always be short. Every time they start to get ahead, something will break down, and they'll always be about Why? Because they don't fully understand the principle of putting God first. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Two things Paul says here. By the way, the guy that wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. First, do it on the first day. First day of the week, that's, that's when he wants them to do it, on first day. Second thing, let each person lay something aside and give to the church as he prospers. Another translation of this says, in direct proportion to the amount that you have earned. In direct proportion to the amount that you've earned. In other words, Paul's not saying that everyone is required to give the same amount. He said, I want you to give a proportion of what you've earned, your income. What's in direct proportion to what you've earned? A percentage. God has established this principle of percentage long before the law. The percentage was 10%. The word tithe means a tenth. God is the one that established that. You got a problem with that? You really don't need to be mad at me. Get mad at him. He's the one that established this. I didn't come up with this. You realize that if every believer tithe, we could be doing so much more for the kingdom. We could be preaching the gospel. We could be feeding the hungry. We'd be clothing the naked. We'd be doing incredible work for the kids. God set it up this way so it would be taken care of. We wouldn't have to have car washes for the kids to go to camp or jogathons for people to go on missions trips or we wouldn't have to have sell candy in the foyer or brownie sales. Or No, if every person did what God already designed, we wouldn't need to do any of those things. Relevant Magazine said this. They did a study last year, and they said if believers were to increase their giving to a minimum of 10%, there would be an additional $165 billion for churches to use and distribute. That's with a B, billion. God had his own fundraising model in place. We've departed from it, and it's called tithing. It's very simple. You know, tithers make up 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. And we wonder why as a nation we're in debt. Do you know that third world nations give more percentage per capita than America does? Do you know that as a, as a nation we were actually more generous per capita during the Great Depression than we are now? We give about 2.5% across the board in our nation to charitable things. During the Great Depression, 3.3%. And we wonder why. Because grateful people are generous people, and generous people are blessed people. But in America today, we are entitled people, not grateful people. So we're not generous people, and we're not a blessed people. We're an indebted people. Third world nations understand it. If I open up your check register, let me tell you what I'm looking at. I'm looking at your heart. 
I'm looking at how much of your heart is in your house, how much is in your cars, how much is in your clothes, how much is in your hair and nails. I know you ladies. How much is in your golf? How much is in your church? God never even said, you know, what percentage you could have of your income that went to your mortgage. He didn't say. All he said was give me 10% and give it to me first. Exodus chapter 13, verse 14. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? Let me me just tell you. Children now are coming to their fathers and they're asking why they're sacrificing their firstborn lambs. That's the context there. That you shall say to him, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass that when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, that's the reason I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. The Bible says that their children started to ask, why? Why are we doing this, Dad? And here's what, here's what their response was to their son. Son, you, you don't know this, but dad used to be a slave. Dad used to not own his own land. Yeah, I had no sheep. And I didn't have any crops. And, and so I, I want to I tell you what it was like in Egypt. Let me tell you about bondage and slavery. Son, I, I want to show you something so you understand. And maybe, maybe the father would take off his shirt and show him the scars This is what slavery looks like, son. That's the result of slavery and bondage. But the reason I do this is because God delivered us. God set us free. And I'm not a slave anymore. Therefore, I gladly give to the Lord from my first fruits. Therefore, I gladly give the firstborn of our animals to the Lord. We do it gladly. This is the sacred covenant between the Lord and me. And as a free man now, I do this because I love God and I put him first. Now, as a father, as a committed tither, and you will experience this too as you commit to tithing, you will have the same opportunity with your kids. Can I tell you? Your kids, at some point, will start to ask, why are you doing this? Side note, in that study, 63% of all tithers started tithing 10% or more before the age of 20. Why? You know, I think it's funny. uh, What we consider to be large numbers and what children consider to be large numbers is different, isn't it? You know, when your child sees your tithe check, they go, whoa! What What are you doing that for? I have lots of Legos with that. Or, or maybe uh, every time when you're giving your tithe check to your child and you're going to let them put it in the bucket, you know, and they try, they try so hard not to look at it. They're going to go, wow, we're rich. Why are we giving that much money to the church? Listen, you'll be able to, with your children, say, let me, let me explain something to you. Right? Dad wasn't always a Christian. Let me tell you what it's like to not be a Christian. Let me tell you how miserable I was before I started serving Christ. Some of us could even show them scars. Say, this is what it's like to not serve God, but, but God delivered me and saved your dad. Therefore, I gladly give 
the first of all of our finances to him. See, I, I didn't always have this house. We didn't always have this house. I didn't always have this beautiful wife and you all. I didn't have anything. But God saved me, set me free by his grace. This isn't something I do begrudgingly. This is something that I love to do because God changed my life. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about putting God first. And if you put God first in your finances, it will spill over into every other area in your life. Thanks again for joining us. If you want to join us on Sunday, we meet at 10.30 a.m. right next to Wilson Central High School or check us out online at connectchurchtn.com. Thanks so much and have a blessed day.